Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Sean Kipe. Sean, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do? Well, I think you nailed it. Uh, my name's Sean Kipe, and uh, I'm the creator and host of uh, the podcast In the Red Clay. And uh, I guess that's about it. <laughs> um, my little bit of research about you going into it. Uh, you started out as a musician. Uh, what age did you start playing your guitar? Uh, I think I got my first electric guitar at nine. Uh, I was nine, and I, I had an acoustic guitar for maybe like six months before that. Um, yeah, I got my first electric guitar for Christmas. So yeah, nine, nine. It's been a long time. It's like thirty, a little over thirty years. What uh, what drew you to the guitar as opposed to you know drums or keyboards or anything like that? Uh, I don't know. Um, my brother had a, an electric guitar. Um, when I was a kid, when I was, I mean, I was younger than nine, he, you know, he, um, started tinkering around with it when he was like 16 and, you know, I would get home from school before he would, and he always kept it in the case under his bed and uh, I, I would just kind of go in and yank it out and mess around with it. Um, and it just, there was something about it that I, you know, it was cool. You know, sometimes I think you pick something up, whether it's an instrument or a paintbrush or whatever it is, and, and it feels kind of right in your hand and makes sense to you. And the guitar was that for me. So I just kind of stuck with it. Nice. I grew up, my my uh, stepfather has played guitar since he was about 10 as well. So I grew up with all different sounds and genres of music, and I'm a huge, huge music fan. So um, going into that, I was... Tried playing. I tried bass. I tried drums. I tried everything. I have zero musicianship at all, so I kind of <laughs> just sit back and listen. Well, I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, not everybody's going to be good at it, but it's a little release, and you can have fun. You can you can have fun uh, just banging around on drums or guitar, um, even if it doesn't really sound very pretty. You know, <laughs> it does something for you. I mean, that, that that's cool too. You know. You uh you grew up in Maryland. Where did you uh where'd you go first, I guess, when you left Maryland? When I was nineteen I moved straight to LA and uh, I was there um until about early two thousand uh twenty sixteen. Came to Georgia. But yeah, I lived in Hollywood uh for, for sixteen years. Um, any bands of note that you were part of? Yeah, several. I mean, um, the one of the first bands, so I guess it was the second record deal um, that I had was a band called Course of Nature. And that was on uh, a label, uh, an imprint label under Warner. Um, and when that kind of fell apart, uh, I joined The Calling uh, I was in the calling for, for quite a number of years and, you know, it just, uh, rock and roll, um, isn't quite what it used to be as far as making money and being on the charts, <laughs> you know what I mean? So Especially this year. I mean, everything, every concert's well, yeah. been shattered this year, so that's not 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really a lot of the way you make your money, you know. Um, I think most people know that at this point, but yeah, this year, you know, zero. You're not making any money if you're there banking was a, all on tour. There was a song that Course of Nature had, uh, Caught in the Sun, that when yeah. I was doing my research, I am like, oh shit, <laughs> he was on this. <laughs> yeah. I used to love that song. I, st- I still do. Still listen to it. I love it. Um, you still making music, you know, just in your own, for your own peace of mind, and obviously you did what you did for uh, your podcast. But you still do anything in the studio, or you know, um, I've been, I have a home studio, and I've been, you know, I kind of took a break when I left LA. I left the calling. Uh, I want to say maybe a, a year before I left LA. Um, and I think I just kind of was burned out. I mean, that's really all I did, um, for the majority of my adult life, you know, um, whether it was trying to do it professionally, um, and get a record deal or whether it was having a record deal and touring and doing all that stuff. I mean, it's, you know, uh, almost 20 years of doing that. So I think, you know, when I left, when I left the calling and it just kind of fell apart in a, in a bad way, uh, I needed a break. And now in, over the past couple of years, I've started getting back into like writing and recording stuff at my home studio. And then, you know, like you said, came along um, doing the scoring, the soundtrack for in the red clay. Um, other than that, you know, I don't, I don't have plans of like, necessarily like putting a band together and, and going and touring i mean you know if it happens it happens but you're not yeah you're not driving yeah, towards I mean, that now yeah and like you see you know it's not gonna happen this year <laughs> <laughs> what was uh what was the transition from going from music being a musician to your i guess your, what was your first introduction into the entertainment business outside of music and touring and stuff well i when I lived in LA, you know, I did. I worked in film, uh, you know, commercial, and television, and, and movies, um, on and off for a long time. Because you know, even if you're not touring, and you know, and you're not U two or the Eagles, I mean, <laughs> you kind of make money in chunks. And um, you know, it's certainly in between bands. You know, I would work in the entertainment industry to sort of fill those gaps. Uh, so I mean I've been doing that for a long time, probably oh I don't know 2005, something like that. I, I was my first job in the industry, and, and like I say, just kind of on and off um, at different points. All behind the scenes types, behind the camera stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I it's professionally. I mean Jesus, in the last 20 years, really, with the you know with a few small exceptions, entertainment industries is all I've done. Nice. What kind of uh, jobs have you held behind the uh, behind the camera? I did um, what's called location manager, um, which is you know you're the guy that goes and finds the locations that they shoot at when they're not on a on a back lot or in the studio. Um, really, I mean, in the industry, <laughs> that's it. Got it. <laughs> you know, before I jump into that transition, because that's being the location scouts, what lets you into uh, in the right clay. What yeah. are some of the, uh, your musical influences? Oh man. I know it's kind of a you very know, broad spectrum kind of thing, especially for, for a musician, but yeah, it is. And I mean, 
look, I grew up, you know, my dad listened to like Dire Straits and Hendrix and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Bob Seger, uh, my mom, you know, was listening to like pop country, pop, 80s pop country when I was growing up, uh, which I hated at the time, but I absolutely love a lot of it now yeah. that I've gotten, you know, now that it's like, you don't want to like what your mom likes you know, <laughs> when you're a teenager. Uh, but I, you know, so that was like a lot of that stuff, but at a really early age, I was into, uh, Elvis, uh, and, and, you know, Buddy Holly and that kind of, that kind of vibe. And, and of course, you know, Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and all that stuff was huge in the, in the eighties. And, and when the nineties came along, man, I was like, uh, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and all that. And that's really, that stuck with me. I kind of stayed on that path so just rode the wave of, of what was kind of current at the moment i mean I, I wouldn't i don't know that um but i think that when that grunge if you want to call it grunge that that movement i was at the right age you know i was yeah. you know 11 12 13 and i was just getting into teenage years and and that uh that's what that whole you know that whole generation kind of that music spoke to that generation. So yeah. I was at the right age to get sucked into that. Struck the chord and you just went, went wrong for the ride. I agree. It's, yeah. And, and I started playing in bands and I was, you know, really taking the guitar seriously. And it was like, so it kind of went hand in hand. Yeah. I, I listen to anything and, and everything. I mean, there's, there's very few, if any genres of music that I can't find something that I'll listen to and like. Yeah. So, your job as a location scout brought you to Georgia, and that's kind of where you organically got into the idea of In the Red Clay. Can you, without giving away too much, elaborate what In the Red Clay is and what it's about? Yeah. Um, that led me, like you said, directly to uh, to this whole story. And uh, I was working on an HBO series um, called The Outsider, and they wanted to film in this little town, Winder, which is, you know, about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half northeast of Atlanta. And, uh, you know, part of my job was to go there a week or so before they wanted to film, meet everybody. You know, we were going to shut down uh, the downtown section, you know, the, the intersection of the main downtown area. And so I, I just kind of needed to go meet people and you know, be the face of the production, so to speak, and, and knock on doors. And that's really how I met Stoney. Uh, Stoney Burt um, just knocked on the door, and, you know, I'd heard about this guy, and his dad was uh, the hitman in the Dixie Mafia, and I just kind of was like, what? You know? um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you meet this guy, and, and he's, he's larger than life, and he is charismatic and he's somebody that you know he, he kind of wraps you around his little finger in a couple of minutes with his stories and just the way he is so you you, you want to talk to him and, and you want to hear what he has to say and uh, you know he started telling me who his dad was and, you know my father was uh, the hitman for the Dixie Mafia and you know was on death row and this that and the other and Rob Banks and and uh, I just, you know, I immediately I was like, dude, there's such a story here. There, this is a movie. I mean, I, naturally, I work in the entertainment industry. I'm like, who can I? <laughs> how can I? How can I uh, put my stamp on this? Um, 
yeah, that, I, that's really how it came about. I mean, it just went from there. And I thought, you know, I made a call to a buddy of mine uh, at Imperative Entertainment. And I said, dude, I, you know, met this guy and told him you know, for 10 minutes, just kind of said, this is kind of stuff that he was just telling me. It's, it's crazy. And he's got all this proof. He's got newspapers and photos and video and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he hung up the phone and 10 minutes later called me back and said, hey, look, you know, would you be interested in doing a podcast on this? You know, I don't even know if I've ever listened to a podcast the whole way through, but sure. (laughs) Yeah. Did you do the bulk of the writing of that? Because the the storytelling of that over those 12 episodes was just absolutely phenomenal. The the, the way that you kind of, you teased some things and and then you went into it. It was just phenomenally done. I mean, I, I... totally binged on it i was listening to a, another podcast and they were talking about yours about in the red clay and they're like how you know raving about it i'm like oh let me check this out and especially when they said the dixie mafia i'm like what the hell is that and i realized <laughs> oh wow this is actually something that's like a real thing and then you know i, I just yeah. dove into into the in the red clay and it was i was just blown away and like you said what you hear from uh from stony it it's a story of you know without giving too much away of what your podcast is, you know, there's the thought process that this guy who's, you know, a hitman and and has done all these crimes, you would kind of paint a a generic picture of of a a monster or a bad guy. And, and you can tell through the story and the stories that Stoney tells, he wasn't, it was really weird dynamic. It's an odd dynamic. And it was just a absolutely intriguing the way you wove everything together. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I did, I wrote, I wrote the show. Um, I wrote all the episodes and, you know, I, I can't take credit for, for everything. Um, the executive producer of the show, Jason Hoke, uh, with imperative entertainment is also the story editor. So, you know, what he kind of helped me do, um, I would write a script. I, I did all the interviews with Stoney and with all these other people. Um, and I would put together a rough episode or, a, you know, a rough cut of the episode, write the script, put it all together with music and stuff. And was kind of working on all that at the same time. Um, and then I would send it off to him and then he would really help me, uh, whittle down this massive story that is like the saga of of Billy Burt because there's so much there's so much to the story and yeah. you know I've said it before like there's there's just so much we couldn't even fit in um originally this was supposed to be 10 episodes and we you know pretty quickly realized that it was going to take more to even finish the story arc that we were creating um but yeah, he would just help me whittle it down. Like I said, I mean, there was so much stuff and it was, there's so many characters, so many characters that I couldn't even put, like I said, in the the 12 episodes, uh, because it would get confusing and he was really good. Jason was really good about helping go, you know, like we probably don't need that. That's a little distracting because he was just a fresh set of ears, you know? Um, but that, that's how it came about. I mean, you know, and we just honed it and honed it and honed it. And, you know, now you, until we ended up on what you hear now. Well, it, uh, the final product, at least for the, what I hope is only the, the beginning 
part of it because I hope there's, I mean, like you said, there's there's a lot of stories that are coming out of that. I mean, you can hear Stoney is just, he's got a story for everything and for every every minute of his life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Very colorful cast of characters, so to speak. Um, yeah. Is there, are there plans to, to kind of do a little more deep dive in different aspects of it? Or is that kind of just letting it settle for right now and see where it goes from there? Well, I mean, I, I guess I have I have plans. You know, we have some some things that we're we're working on. I don't want to give it away. Um, I do think that we will be putting together maybe another episode or, or two. Um, you know, we still have some things cooking. And again, I, I don't want to give everything away if you haven't heard the show. But right. um, at the end of the last episode. You know, there are some questions that are still kind of hanging in the air. Um, there's still investigations going on. Um, so I think when the time is right, you know, we don't want to put out an episode uh, just to put out an episode right. just to create filler content. We've been very careful to, to not do that, um, just to try to catch uh, people who are listening. Let's keep putting stuff out. And it doesn't really mean mean very much. We don't want to do that. Um, but I think that'll happen. And, um, you know, time wise, I have no idea. Things are kind of playing out in real time right now. So, yeah, it's, it's, there was definitely a couple of questions that I'm waiting for answers on that, you know, (laughs) understanding what the, the context and the, and the framing of, uh, of what these questions are that I have based off the the podcast. It's definitely stuff that's not going to kind of drop next week or in a month or so. So. But I'll yeah. definitely be uh, keeping an eye out because I'm I'm curious to see what some of these happens with some of these characters. Did yeah, you, me uh, too. you you seem to uh, to develop a, a good rapport with with Stony? What um, aside from being clearly larger than life, uh, my impression is he's insanely humble, um, and a lot of the traits as he spoke about his father, he seems to to inherit it as being just you know the all around consummate family man and and just a, a gentle human being. Yeah, he is. I mean, you know, family, I think, is probably the most important thing to him above all else um, in his life. Um, and, you know, in, in the podcast, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear him say, uh, I'm doing this for my family or I'm doing that for, you know, all I care about is my grandbabies. He says, my, you know, my grandbabies all the time and getting them things for the future and, and, you know, his son stone, of course, you know, he has such a phenomenal relationship with him. Um, you know, that's real. And that, that is something that he, he is that same way off the mic. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he is humble. He's, he's, I don't want (laughs) to, it's hard to say he's humble, uh, because he is so, you know, larger than life, like yeah. I said, in his personality and his charisma, but he really is. And he likes to, you know, he's cheeky, you know what I mean? He likes to put on a bit of a show yeah. and kind of that wink, wink, I'm a, I'm a gangster, you know, but he, uh, at, at the root of it all, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a big teddy bear. He'll hate that I said that, <laughs> um, but he is, you know, he's a, he's a really good guy. He's got a really good heart. Um, he's unique. The quality that I, I picked up from him that, it's kind of rare these days or it's just a sense of genuineness. He, he's just a, a genuine, decent guy. Yeah, he is. Um, I, you know, 
he's a bullshitter in some ways, in some respects, and he'll be the first to admit that. I mean, you know, he'll call himself, uh, you say, look, man, I'm a poker player, you know? Um, but I don't think he's as good of a bullshitter um, as he as he likes to think he is, or you know, he's you can see through him. He's he really is a pretty straightforward guy, um, especially if he likes you, if he cares about you, if he respects you. You know, he cuts through all that, and it's just what you see is what you get. It's good to, and refreshing to have people like that. I mean, and especially coming from the background where you are from Hollywood. I'm I'm venturing to. It's not a stretch to say that authenticity and genuine people are few and far between out in LA. Yeah. I mean, and I think you get that in any big city, um, depending on what circles you're in, but certainly in LA and and living in Hollywood, I mean, you know, it's, I always said, you know, if you're out at a bar in Hollywood or you're at a club or something like that and, you know, you meet somebody within the first two minutes of every single conversation, you know, nine times out of 10 is going to be, uh, you know, so what do you do? And it's just like, there's no, there's none of that with him. Right. It's just like, do I like you or, or don't I? And, and I don't, I don't care where you come from or how much money you have or who you know, or what you do for, you know, do I like you or not? And that's, and I like that. I, I dig that. You know, it's, I'm a, you tend to be attracted to, to that, yeah. you know, and Stoney's not, the most typical type of person that I would go may, you know, develop a friendship with. I mean, just because our paths probably wouldn't normally cross in the way that they did without me doing this project with him. But, uh, you know, the good dude. Yeah. How did you go about writing the, the the music to in the red clay? Cause it just fit so fantastically. Yeah. Thanks man. Um, uh, you know, music's my my first love. It's what I'd, I've done more than anything else in my life. And like I said, you know, I sort of retired, so to speak, from music and had that little void. Um, and, you know, when it came time to talk about putting this project together, uh, Jason Hoke, at, you know, an imperative knew that I had, you know, been a musician for a living. And so I think he maybe even was like mentioned something to me first was like, Hey, you know, if you want to do some music in this too, or if you have any music and then that just turned into me, I did a couple tracks. Um, and, and one of them, one of the first things I wrote, uh, actually ended up becoming like the, the theme song of the show, uh, which is the music you hear at the beginning and end of every episode. And, and he absolutely loved it. Just like, dude, do you have any more of that stuff? <laughs> so, you know, it just kind of turned into me doing the whole thing and, um, and that turned into that turned into a lot of work too, but it was fun. It's the first thing I've ever scored, you know, like specifically for a, a particular project. Right. So it was a challenge, you know. Different than writing for, you know, uh, a record, so to speak. I'm guessing. Well, yeah, and I didn't want it, you know. And this is not a knock on any other project, any other podcast, or or whatever. But you know, a, a lot of podcasts, I think you know, you, they'll go online and find stock music or there are podcasts that have a, a soundtrack written for them, which is just kind of like, and I always think of, if you've seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, yeah, he goes, <laughs> you know, I do ominous tones, you know, <laughs> like he writes for like a, tri- a true crime, you know, TV show. And I didn't want it to be that. I didn't want it to just be like, 
this boom, 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 boom in the background. Yeah. And there was nothing special about the music. Like I wanted, there are, there are points in the music score that are specifically written for parts of the show for individual stories and, and hits in the music and, and crescendos that are, are specifically for, you know, one thing that, that a character says. And of course the music then gets reused at different, in different places. But, um, I think maybe, maybe that's a reason why people are actually digging the, the music to this, um, the way that they seem to be because it's, there, there was maybe a little bit more thought yeah. put into that, you know? You can definitely feel that, and and now that you you've put it out there and put it that way, recalling listening to it there and the music how it does kind of flow. It's it's almost it's almost like listening to Dark Side of the Moon and watching Wizard of Oz. How the lyrics and some of the music <laughs> just kind of goes right with what's going on. Man, do you, do you want to be my agent? <laughs> I would love to be your agent. <laughs> you just go out touting that. No, I got this guy. He's basically like uh, Pink Floyd. You'll love him. No, I mean, I mean, it's you know, it's it's you know, there's no lyrics. It's all instrumental. Um, it's not reinventing the wheel, but. Yeah, the stuff fits, and and I think another part of that is because I was so invested in the story. I mean, I was eats sleeping and breathing this this whole story for a year and a half. So it was really my head was in it. And when I sat down with a guitar, or with a a keyboard, or mandolin, or whatever it was, like you know, if I had uh, been working on a, a certain part or maybe had an interview that day with Stoney and, and it was like a pretty heavy thing that stuck with me. Um, you know, and that, that's kind of how I clear my head and I would sit down and write a certain thing here. Oh shit, that's good. Like that would yeah. sound really good under <laughs> what he's saying. Cause that's the vibe, you know, like right. that's the, that's the emotion that I want to get across anyway. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some, some times where you can, I can only imagine how exhausting mentally it was with this, the storytelling, both from you as the listener, of what Stoney was telling you and you can feel the emotion out of Sony on a, on a couple moments. Um, the nuances to what he was saying, um, I think, really carried through with, again, the, the story writing that you guys did. Um, going back to your music days, any odd experiences or... or you know, those kind of make you do a double <laughs> take going, wow, did that really happen kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, many, many. Um, two that stick out in my mind. Um, one uh, in like 2006, uh, I was in, in a band. We were on tour supporting NXS. 2005 or 2006, and this was when NXS, you know, did the TV show to find a new singer, JD Fortune, and uh, so we went on tour with them for a while, and we were playing at uh, Radio City Music Hall, and sold out, and you know, the band I was in were, you know, were walking uh, through like the sort of tunnels underneath the the venue, and just kind of getting ready and warming up, and you know, got a guitar in my hand acoustic guitar and and there's like a piano along the wall where people can sit and just warm up 
and Andrew Ferris is walking down the hall the other way, and I'm playing uh, Never Tear Us Apart, which is just one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. It has been since I was a kid, you know, when it came out in the 80s, and, and I'm you know, just kind of playing that, and he's walking, and I didn't really realize it. And, you know, he stops, and he says, hey, yeah, come here. Let me show you this. And he sits down at the piano and teaches me how to play. You know, this is the guy that wrote the song, you right. know, the, the rhythm guitar player of NXS. And um, that was completely a surreal moment for me. I mean, that was like an out-of-body, you know. I, I in, the, in the moment, sometimes something is so phenomenal to you that you realize in the moment how big this is in your right. life. And that, that was for sure one of them. Um, and I think the other that really stands out was playing Times Square uh, on, on New Year's Eve in, in uh, 2008. That was with um, Course, of, Course Nature. of Nature. Yeah, yeah, and that was, you know, that's something you'll never forget. I mean, there was like 900,000 people in, a, in Times Square. There was a, a in, in the one song that I referenced earlier, um, Caught in the Sun, there's, there's a melodic, almost like a, a string section that that's added to that, yeah. Um, and I noticed that there's there are bands that kind of throw that in, and it if it's not done right, you can it just you can see that it doesn't play. But I noticed that there's some bands that are uh, newer, I guess, that seem to do that really well. Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on on I guess the the size of a of a band and the use of I mean, you mentioned you use the mandolin sometimes when you're writing music. Uh, what are your thoughts on broadening your horizons, I guess, as a musician? Well, I mean, I think you always should. I, you know, I don't think you should ever throw something in to a song just uh, just to do it. Um, you know, I, Tom Petty uh, said something one time that always stuck with me, and he said, uh, if you can't sit down and play a song on just an acoustic guitar, then it ain't a song. You know, um, and I thought, you know, that's there's really something to that. Um, but building on that base, you know, that basis. Um, yeah, I love cellos. I love stringed instruments. I love, you know, the calling. We would do a lot of um, stringed instruments. We had mandolins all over the place, um, pianos, keyboards and. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things. I've got a cigar box guitar that I've used on this soundtrack, and you know, which is a little three-string. It's a, it's literally a cigar box that is yeah. strung and has a neck attached, and you know, it's got a really unique, weird sound. And you know, um, yeah, why not, man? The instruments are there as long as it fits. I mean, I, I dig it. I think people should be um, experimenting with stuff. I I absolutely love. It. I think if I have to pick a favorite instrument it would be the violin i just love the way it sounds and i think it's extremely versatile when it if you have a extremely proficient player yeah i've been i've been fortunate enough to play with some really um really uh phenomenal string players um so <laughs> for me i'm not when i say you know i'm a musician i never had any lessons i'm completely self-taught for better or worse picked up the guitar and just, you know, I don't know the name of every, I mean, I know the names of notes and I know chords and stuff, but I don't know theory. I don't know how to read music. I, you know, um, 
that stuff just kind of I lost interest. It's like I just wanted to play rock and roll and play play the guitar and you know feel something when I played certain notes. But I played with people that do know all that stuff, and and you know you feel like an idiot. You feel like you feel like a second rate musician <laughs> when you're like you know. But at the same time, I've had people like that that they think so heavily on the theory side of it and I'll play a play something and and I remember that you know the bass player for the calling for a while um a guy named Simon Huber who is a cello player and he plays all these instruments and very um knowledgeable of the technical side of everything and I was playing something and he just he couldn't wrap his brain around it and he said no that that those two notes just don't work to you they like they shouldn't, they don't work together, but I'm like, but listen, <laughs> sometimes you have to just put, yeah, it, put it, but put it the sounds thought. cool. That's all that matters, man. Put the deep thought aside and just go with the feeling of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I'm guessing you're still kind of sort of in touch with, with Stoney and you mentioned that he's got a distillery. Um, I think there was yeah. a short video clip. I think it was you and, and one of your producers were, were tasting that. Um, how, I guess he he prides himself on on being a, a good distiller. Is it a small batch type stuff that he sells, or is he looking to, to market it bigger? Well, it, I guess it's right now kind of a mix between both. I mean, everything's made in house at the Rock Solid Distillery that's there in Winder, you know, um, and they're kind of almost working around the clock yeah. to keep up right now with the demand. Um, I think when they opened it, it was just before this podcast came along, before this, this whole story came along, it was going to be just this little local distillery, family-run business. Um, and this thing came out, and people are coming from all over the country. They're calling to make appointments with Stony two months in advance, wow. three months in advance, because they want to come in and they want to make sure he's going to be there because they want to meet him and um, you know, and people are coming in because they want to try this whiskey and just kind of be a part of it. Yeah. And, and and so I think he wasn't prepared for any of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he wants it to grow. I'm sure he wants it to be as successful as it can be. Um. You know, and yeah, I, I went up there, um, believe it or not, I, I went up there last weekend just to pop by and say hey and see how it's doing. And, you know, I was so surprised. I, I He's been telling me how busy the place is, and I just I wasn't really connecting with that, the reality of that. Yeah. Like, I walked in, and it was a Saturday, early Saturday afternoon, and, I mean, there was just, there were people. I walk in, and, and Stoney is inside, of, he's behind the bar serving drinks but he's there's a crowd of like 12 or 15 people that are just completely silent listening to him just spin yarns and tell stories <laughs> and they were completely you just you know you'd hear people crack up laughing and then they'd be right back to listening it's amazing i mean it's like he's putting on a show yeah definitely uh i might have to take a trip down there just just for that show aspect of it <laughs> it's it is a show so um, I'm going to kind of transition to the part that I've been adding where I'm asking some really random questions. You have every right to pass on anything, not that there's anything really risque. They're just borderline absurd and ridiculous in some degrees. So if you don't mind humoring me and I'm playing game. along. 
I'm game. First Let's question. Would you rather be able to erase people's memory or predict the future? Oh, man. I think erase people's memory. <laughs> I, I think I agree with that because if the future doesn't turn out the way that you'd want to, you could just erase their memory. Well, you know, yeah, and you don't want to know what's coming all the time. You know, that's kind of part of the spice of life is the surprise. Takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Question two. Would you rather have a road trip with Donald Trump or O.J. Simpson? <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with that one. That, that Just the absurdity that I'm sure would come out of that. Yeah, they would. Uh, they'd be unforgettable trips, um, <laughs> one way or the other. I think, but uh, mix of good and bad, and lots of indifferent. Yeah. Have you ever had a weird Uber experience? Yeah, I threw up in the back of one before. Seems like and, uh, I was. I felt so. I felt so bad the next day, um, and never since. But I was. I was really drunk. It was a, quite a long time ago, and. And I'm like a TMI, but I'm like a silent, I'm like a quiet vomiter. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm like a stealth vomiter. And I threw up in the back seat, and he never, the guy never even knew. It was just like, uh, <laughs> silent. And, and I just got out and kept going on with my life. And then the next day, I was like, oh, did I, that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's, sorry, wherever you are, man. <laughs> What's your favorite so, gadget? My favorite gadget? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, what do, what do you consider a gadget? Uh, PlayStation? Is that a gadget? It works for me. So that's a pretty good one. <laughs> what games are you playing currently? You know, I just beat... Uh, I just played um, The Last of Us 2 for the second time through. I, and I love that game so much. Awesome. I've stolen about an hour of your time, which I, I greatly appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with me and... Um... Sure. Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell people where they can find In the Red Clay? Uh, yeah, you can find In the, in the Red Clay uh, on any podcast app, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Stitcher, um, Amazon, I think now has a Google anywhere, um, and a plethora uh, of others. You can uh, check out the website, in the red clay podcast.com. There's a blog on there that's got a bunch of uh, pictures and things that Stoney's and his family have uh, provided us that have never been seen before and uh, that are really, really cool worth taking a look at. They kind of walk you through a lot of the characters in the story. Um, and our, our uh, Instagram, we, we're pretty active on our Instagram. It's at In the Red Clay Podcast. So check it out. I will make sure that I put all those into the show links so people can find and go for themselves. And I absolutely implore if you're looking for just a great story, uh, listen to listen to the podcast. It's phenomenal. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Sean, thank you very much for being here. Stay healthy and have a good time. You too, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.